Yes, it's a slightly complex thing, this. On a hot summer's day, almost six decades ago, Martin Luther King Jr. joined around a quarter of a million demonstrators in a march on Washington, D.C., calling for civil and economic rights for African Americans, jobs and freedom. It was an historic day, August the 28th, and it was made even more so with this historic speech from King. I have a dream that one day... This nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Now, 20 years after that march and speech, King's family and supporters won a fight to have him memorialised with a national holiday. And Martin Luther King is the only citizen, black or white, personally identified by name on the US calendar. But how does a holiday memorialise a man like King with his, at the time, radical agenda to realise civil and economic equality, particularly when that agenda is arguably unfinished in the US? That's the question at the heart of a new book produced in Australia, Living the Dream, the contested history of Martin Luther King Jr. Day. It's by Dr. Daniel Fleming, and he joins me now. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's a clever angle, the Martin Luther King Day, which I I honestly wonder whether many Australians even know it exists. Uh, Well, that's a good point. It's not obviously, you know, on our calendar and uh, we have very different holidays. It's a distinctly American holiday and also distinct within the American sort of calendar as well, like honouring an African-American man. So it's the first to do that. Recently, Congress made Juneteenth also a federal holiday, which is uh, commemorates uh, emancipation from slavery. But uh, the King holiday has blazed the trail on the on the official federal calendar. Look, what on earth inspired an Australian academic to write a book like this? Well, I was very intrigued sort of in research to find that the FBI uh, opposed the King holiday. So after his assassination, the FBI monitored King's followers, I suppose, and as they had monitored him in life. So the FBI had King under surveillance. They suspected, you know, he was alleged he was under communist influence, which wasn't the case. And then even after his assassination, the FBI, you know, campaigns against his legacy and thinks that, and puts it in writing, that a a holiday dedicated to King would be a national calamity. They circulate this information to... When was this? In the late 60s, so uh, roughly. So J. Edgar Hoover is still in charge of the FBI. Richard Nixon's in the White House. Uh, The FBI give Nixon this information, you know, about King, you know, even though he's dead. And so this really intrigued me about, well, it, it sort of stumped me, like, you know, why is this person so threatening to the FBI that they will campaign against him even in his death? So, I mean, the book isn't so much about King, but a study of how... Americans memorialise him and debate about that yes. memorial. Um, uh, like, he's really, in a way, um, elevated to the pantheon of American heroes, as you say, which had previously been a very segregated ca- uh, ca- category. I wonder how some of the activists who did promote it, because it took 15 years, as you say, to, to persuade Congress right. to vote for it, <laughs> hardly a ringing, well, you know, <laughs> hardly an easy entry into that pantheon. Uh, what were the challenges that the activists... Um, did face. Well, how do they ultimately win the day? 
they won the day eventually by traditional kind of campaigning, lobbying. Uh, early on, they reach a milestone with something like 3 million signatures on a petition, which is submitted to Congress. Uh, that's the biggest petition in American history at that point in time. Uh, activists like Ralph Abernathy, um, so King's deputy and, and sort of successor for the... Um, uh, Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Uh, he campaigns for it. Coretta Scott King is involved, but mm. she hangs back a little bit. She puts her full weight behind the campaign late in the 70s. Uh, and John Conyers, uh, a um, Democratic representative from Detroit, uh, who knew King, he uh, uh, puts forward the legislation every year. And every year it kind of doesn't get out of committee until about 1979. In the Carter administration, Carter and Ted Kennedy mm. vie for the Democratic nomination. So they both promise a King holiday. And, and, it, and it gets to a vote in 1979. It doesn't get up then. Um, it's sort of, uh, it's, it's sort of, kiboshed, I suppose, um, because some conservatives in Congress say, we'll just make this a Sunday commemorative day, not a fully fledged Monday public holiday where, you know, and, and, and the supporters go, well, that's, that's not good enough. That's a second rate holiday. It's just such an interesting sort of marker boy or test, I suppose, of attitudes. Mm. Ironically, the holiday approval happened under Ronald Reagan, didn't it? It who does. was known for his hostility towards the civil rights agenda. Yeah, that's right. So he opposes the holiday. But what happens is the Congress decides to vote for the holiday in 1983. And interestingly, there's a Republican-controlled Senate at the time. And so it it votes in favour of, of the holiday. And the way that they gain, like the supporters of the King holiday, gain the support of those uh, Republicans and in the Senate, but also in the House of Representatives. So people like Newt Gingrich votes for the holiday. Right. He didn't in 1979, but he does. In 83. Yeah. And one of the things they do is they they use King to reinforce traditional American values. So uh, respect for the Constitution, respect for liberal democracy and these kind of things. So they're kind of, again, they have the broad appeal. So this is what this is the one, one way that, that, that the holiday gets up. Actually, you say that it's different politicians used him in different ways. It's one of the key questions you set out to right. examine. So we've talked about uh, Ronald Reagan. What about George Bush Senior? So he uses King in a kind of similar way to those Republicans in Congress. And what he does in 1989 is says, well, actually, King, you know, you know, was a, you know, almost pro-capitalist, you know, and so in this context, you know, it's the fall of the Berlin Wall and George Bush Sr. uses King to say to, um, you know, people behind the Iron Curtain, you know, peaceful protest is uh, good, democracy is good, so he's got a lectures, Gorbachev and the like, but also Nelson Mandela, you know, and says, you know, non-violent protest is the way to go. And what about Bill, Bill Clinton? Well, Bill Clinton, so one of the big criticisms of the holiday is that it's too bland, it's too washed out or um, watered down, his legacy, and it's just focused on the, the nice words of the I Have a Dream speech, which you played earlier. Mm. So what Bill Clinton does, and critics like uh, John Lewis, who was a key King ally, uh, and even Credit Scott King, they, they think that the day should become focused on activity. 
so more activism and the like. And what they do is they focus on creating a, a, what's a day of service. Community service. Yeah, so they take a different speech of King's, uh, one that he delivered on the 4th of February 1968, two months before he died, where he speaks about the way he wants to be remembered, not for having a PhD, not for being a smart guy, but for being dedicated towards service. Oh, this is the drum major speech. The drum major speech, exactly. And this is played, that speech is recorded and played at his funeral for uh, two months later. So it's very resonant. What is interesting is how the African-American movement, civil rights activists, have have behaved towards it. You note that historians write about uh, King Day as if it's been the same day since the inaugural one in 1986, but that it really is quite dynamic. It, it evolves. Mm-hmm. In particular, you know, thinking of Black Lives Matter, right. how is that? Does it sit easily with the memorialising of King? So the reform that Clinton brings in kind of is the holiday status quo for, for a while, for, you know, from around 1996 to 2015. The, one of the high points of the holiday's history, I suppose, is when it occurs the day before Barack Obama is inaugurated and then you get this great celebration of um, black life, I suppose, and the, um, the comparison between the two leaders and, you know, Obama, you know, kind of refers to King quite a lot. But what happens in 2015 is that Black Lives Matter kind of erupts in the face of, you know, the killings of Trayvon Martin and people like Eric Garner and the like. And uh, the younger generation who, who the elders have wanted to engage in activism, you know, and say, look at us, you know, in our civil rights movement days, this is what we did. The younger generation in kind of Black Lives Matter are rather fed up with this day of service and they protest actual King Day events. They um, they protest at King Day events. Yes, yes they disrupt the parades. Gee. They, you know, sometimes get into the pulpit um, and these kind of things and sort of, you know, disrupt their kind of I suppose, grandparents' um, narrative of the civil rights movement. But also, you know, their main thing is King was not assassinated for service. He wasn't assassinated for community service. He was assassinated for challenging the racist, you know, capitalist system. That's what they say. And uh, that, that is what the holiday should be about. So it's a reinvigoration uh, of mm. that. So the day is used sort of in an official capacity, you know, in sort of mm. churches and pulpits and there's parades and stuff, but it's also been used to protest events, you know, like police killings, like the Gulf War, these types of things. Right. Well, that's what's going to be my final question. It, it, if you had to give a value judgment then, do you do you think it has served the cause of advancing the, the, the rights and the status and prestige of African-Americans or not? Well, I think every year there is a debate that comes around, you know, how has the US progressed in terms of King's vision? So that's significant. But there are limitations. One of the limitations are, well, this is a one-day event Mm. of a year. And people do try to say, you know, on King Day, commit to, you know, these values for the whole year. And so uh, that's a significant thing. I think the other limitation is, of course, while... I think the democratisation and the integration of American memorial life is essential. And we saw that recently with Black Lives Matter and the attack on Confederate statues. And I think the King holiday is a precursor to that. Mm. By focusing on King, it kind of 
as you say, deifies him and makes it him to be like the ultimate leader, whereas the civil rights movement was a very diverse, broad-based democratic movement. And yes, it did have leaders, but King was not the only one. And women and working class activists are kind of uh, forgotten in that process. Um, Black Lives Matter, the movement today, tries to avoid that by having a more leaderless makeup. You know, it makes me wonder whether we should be doing something similar here, uh, Daniel, with Indigenous leaders and activists. Look, I have thought the same thing and just this is not my area of expertise, but I sometimes imagine what our calendar would be like if we had, say, a Faith Bandler Day to commemorate, um, you know, things like the 1967 uh, referendum. referendum and the role of women in political uh, activity and social life in Australia. But, oh, an uh, interesting idea. <laughs> Very interesting. Okay, thank you very much indeed, Daniel. All right, thank you. Daniel Fleming, he's the author of Living the Dream, the Contested History of Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.